For me to live is Christ For me to die is gain Every moment in between There'll be joy and there'll be pain I can't worry about the future Or change a thing about my past I've got this moment to believe And I'm gonna make it last I am filled To be emptied This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We're getting towards the end of the second question that we ask when we're talking about what it means to be a disciple maker. Uh, those of us who want to be disciple makers have to ask ourselves all the time the question, am I fervently pursuing my faith? And am I fully committed uh, to the mission? Am I, am I completely just sold out for it? Is this what I believe that God wants me to do? And so, um, uh, so am I invested in the uh, mission is the way that we say it. Uh, but inside of being invested, we just recognize that, that that word can mean a lot of things. So we want you to get a sense of every piece of that. Uh, and so we came up with the concept of engage, give, grow, share. And that's what we've been going through. And we've already done engage and give and grow. And now we're looking at what it means to share. And by share, uh, everything that we've talked about up to now, being engaged, giving what we have, growing in, in our faith, is so that we can be on mission to share. So when we say, am I invested in the mission completely? The truth is we can do everything we have already talked about and stop here and miss out on doing the mission. We, we aren't invested until we start actually investing in others with the things that we're learning and, and what we know. As we figure that out, there's a considered question that we want you to be thinking about. It and it's a simple one. Do I know what I believe? It is one thing to, to profess your faith in something, but if you can't explain what it is that you believe in, it's difficult for you to stay faithful to it, right? So we want to just kind of share that today. And we thought today the best way to do that is to share the gospel itself and talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and so we're going to share that today and start with just an understanding of how God revealed himself to us through his word. So the first part uh, that we really don't do a whole lot about in many churches is the Old Testament. And the Old Testament really is about helping us to see why we need Jesus. That's what the Old Testament is about. Uh, so let's just kind of walk through that for a second. We don't have time to go through all of the Old Testament, right? But there is a, there's a sense of understanding the the sweep of the Old Testament, the whole story of the Old Testament, to understand why God is telling that story. We start out with God creating the heavens and the earth and creating Adam and Eve and giving them the opportunity to live in paradise. He gives them one command, and that is, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and I think that he started with one command just to show us that even if he just gave us one command, we would find a way to mess that up. Uh, but eventually Eve is convinced by the serpent to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, now where they had uh, 
constantly had contact with God. They would walk in the cool of the day in the garden with God. God comes to walk with them and he can't find them. It's not like he doesn't know where they are, but he asks the question, where are you? What, what are you doing? What are you doing? And they finally come out and they realize they're ashamed. They, they realize that they've broken his law. And so they've fallen from that grace and God curses them for it. This is a way of saying, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, then there will be curses that come from that. He, he doesn't have to do anything special to make that happen. The very fact that we disobey God puts us in a position where there are going to be consequences. But he will also add consequences if it helps us to understand what he's trying to teach. And so the consequences were a separation from him. And so from that point, the story of the Old Testament is about God letting man choose for himself what he wants to do. He could follow God and have blessing, or he could choose not to follow God and face the consequences. So it starts out just with the two of them, Adam and Eve, and they fail. Then they, uh, they, they start getting a lot of different people in there, and, and after a while, it gets so bad he has to destroy the place with a flood because so many people, are their hearts are only evil all of the time. After the flood, this is a fresh start. This is an opportunity for you. I give you the rainbow. I'm not going to flood the earth again, uh, but I want you to obey me. And almost immediately, they begin disobeying again. Um, eventually, we get to Abraham, and God chooses Abraham as a person who, who he is going to bless everyone in the world through him. Up to that point, they've been trying to be nomads. They've been trying different things. Um, but every time they turn around, they're building, building towers. They're creating issues. And God is constantly having to, uh, to condemn them. When he gets to Abraham, he finds that Abraham is righteous. And he, want, he wants Abraham to follow him. He tells him to go off into a country he doesn't know. And, um, and he'll tell him what to do when he gets there. And Abraham obeys. And he goes. Um, Abraham becomes the father of... Uh, people that eventually become Israel but Abraham is not perfect and Abraham has Isaac and Isaac is not perfect and Isaac has Jacob and Esau and Jacob and Esau are not perfect and Jacob it, like Jacob has the has uh, 12 sons and he has, he has two wives and two handmaids that he has uh, children from and all of those people are not perfect eventually they sell one of the brothers to slavery uh, that eventually leads that brother into Egypt um, and um, because he goes to Egypt, God saves the whole uh, nation of Israel only to have them become slaves again because a Pharaoh comes along that doesn't know Joseph and the, and the story. The Israelites are in slavery for 400 years and God sends Moses. But even Moses is not perfect. The first thing he does to try to release the Israelites is to kill someone. Uh, and then God sends him off into the wilderness for 40 years and he comes back and he creates all these plagues and all these, uh, these terrible atrocities to Egypt to try to get uh, the Pharaoh to let his people go. And eventually the Pharaoh says, I've had enough. You can take off. They take his firstborn son. And he says, that's it. I've had enough. You can go. But the minute they're out of sight, he starts following him again. He wants them to bring him back because that's, that's how we think is, is what's important to me. Eventually Moses goes to the Red Sea and it parts and the people go across on dry land and they are excited. They've been freed by God. They can't wait to follow Moses, but they get a few days into the wilderness and they start complaining. Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days, comes back with the word of God, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, to find out that they've built a golden calf and they have started worshiping the other gods again. Like every time you turn around, 
man is messing things up. They get into the promised land and, and uh, they're fighting in the promised land. They get this great victory at Jericho and the walls come down. The very next thing they do is go to this little town and they get defeated because somebody didn't obey God. Every time you turn around, they're not obeying God and he's having to give them consequences. He gives them judges. He gives them prophets. He gives them kings. And over and over and over again, this is what you see. The people become oppressed because of the choices that they've made. They cry out to God. God sends them someone to save them. They follow as long as that person's alive. And then they stop following God again. And then all of a sudden, we're back to where we started. When they get to the kings, uh, now about every other king is not a good king and is not following God. And, And through that whole process, God is trying to create a people for himself And he's promising something, saying, someday I'm going to send someone. Someday I'm going to send the one that you can rely on, the one who's not going to make those mistakes, the one who's going to be righteous, the one who's going to be, he calls him uh, the branch of David, the root of Jesse. He calls him wonderful, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. He talks about how he's going to be born and where he's going to be born. He talks about what it's going to look like. Um, and how he's going to be a servant, uh, and he's going to be a man of sorrows, and all of these things. But it also describes him as this king, and this conqueror, and this warrior, this person who's going to free Israel. And the people get excited, and they know someday there's going to be some person called the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, he is finally going to set the captives free. And then we get to a certain place in history and there's just silence. We don't hear any more prophets. We don't have any more, uh, a whole lot of stories. We don't know what all God's doing. I don't believe that God was inactive during that time, but we don't have any writings that are inspired for about 400 years. I always say the Old Testament, if you want a good drama movie, read the Old Testament. You can over and over and over again. It's full of drama and drama and drama. Yeah, it's full of drama. Yeah, and then you get to the end of that movie, and and there's no real conclusion. You know, that's right. It's just there's no ending until yes we get to Jesus. And that's and that's the whole point is what God is doing is He is letting man try in every way imaginable whether it is by ourselves in family groups in clans or tribes in a special people in kingdoms and now unfortunately i I hate to break this to you if you didn't know this but neither communism nor capitalism is going to save the people we need something beyond ourselves that can fix the things that are broken in our hearts and god knew that was the case So he waited until just the right time, and he sent Jesus. And so we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 17. Jesus has already been born. He's already had some things happen, but this is is where I believe he starts talking about what it means for there to be good news for the kingdom of Israel. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 17. All right. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. 
One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. So when we're looking about that, what is the good news? What's the good news? Well, the good news is that he was going to send one, like he was saying, Yes. That's right. So, so here's the thing. Imagine that you're a disciple and you are you've been you're Jewish and you've been following what God has been doing. You've been looking for this Messiah, and finally this guy comes and he's preaching and he says, "The time is fulfilled." This is, this is the fullness of the time. This is when it was supposed to happen. This is it. This is the time. And then it, it, it says that he is preaching the gospel of God. And the first thing he says is not, I'm going to die and rise again in three days. It's not, I'm going to make a bunch of rules for you to follow. It's the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is. And I always picture, you know, Jesus, you know, when you're preaching, you, I don't know about you, but I always talk with my hands. And he's preaching with his hands, and he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And literally, he's got his hands out. It's right here. This I am the king, and everywhere I am and anywhere I have influence is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. Right. So how do we, how do we, what do we do with that? And he says two things, believe and repent. He says, believe in me, believe that I'm the one, believe that I'm the king. And really, Messiah means anointed. And so what he's saying is, I'm the king, I'm the one that was anointed, I am the one that you've been waiting for. Believe in me, believe that the kingdom is at hand, and repent. And to repent is a, it, we talk about being like turning back to God, and, I, and this passage in the New Living Translation says that right out, so that you understand that that's a part of it. But to repent, the, the root of that is to rethink, is to start to think again about what you've been doing and how you're supposed to be living your life. And so the first thing Jesus does is he calls some of his disciples. And he says, hey, come, follow me, and I'm going to make you become fishers of men. He doesn't say you're already fishers of men. He says, I'm going to make you become those fishers of men. Right. So oftentimes we look at the, I always call them right, the guys. Sometimes we look at the guys that were called by Jesus and we think, oh, they must have been perfect right off the bat when Jesus called them. No. <laughs> you know, and we know as we continue to study and we learn more and more about in the New Testament, these guys were not perfect. They were like you and me. They had average jobs, average Joes. Some of them were rich. Some of them were poor. Some of them came from all different backgrounds. Um, and Jesus pick them and but I think the key thing about the the disciples and in, in order for us to be disciples is even though they faltered and even though they made mistakes and even though like I always say Jesus had a red mark in the middle of his forehead because he was constantly hitting himself in the head like are you not getting it you know um, the key thing we can learn from them is that they never stopped believing in who he was even if they did believe for a moment you know, even when Peter, Peter denies him later on, one of his 12, he still becomes the rock of the church, right? So there's going to be moments when we deny him. There may be moments when we're not sure. 
about who he is or what we believe and what the good news really is. Yes. But we know who, that we still are grounded in our foundation. We know who he is. And we're going to come back to that every time. He's still Jesus, the Messiah. And that good news is him, but it's what he brings out of that good news. He's bringing promises. He's bringing spiritual blessings. He's bringing renewal, right? That's the good news. That's the crux of the good news. And so that's what he's talking about here. He's calling these guys. He says, come follow me. And I'm not going to just make you fishermen. I'm going to make you fishermen of people, of people. People's not, I'm going to make you fishers of just guys or just gals. Or I'm going to make you fishermen of just the Jewish people and not the Samaritans and not the, right? All people means all people, people, plural. So it doesn't matter where you come from, where your background is. I am here for all people, and I'm going to make you fishermen of people. That's my good news. Hallelujah. And remember that at this point, no one knows that it, it it's prophesied but it's it's in in language that they could maybe <coughs> see it a different way it's prophesied that he's going to die and rise again but they don't understand that yet so when when he calls them here he's calling them to follow him because eventually there's going to be an opportunity for them to learn more if they just follow him and at the time to follow him meant to, to decide that he was going to be their rabbi and they were going to be a part of his life and they were going to live a lifestyle with him. So when Jesus went to the synagogue, they went to the synagogue with him. When Jesus went to pray, they most of the time, unless he got off by himself, most of the time they were there to pray. And there was something weird about his prayers where they finally just went, Lord, you got to teach us how to pray. Right, they ate with him. They slept around him. They were in a uh, in conversations with him. They joked with him. They danced with him. They celebrated with him. They cried with him when John the Baptist died. They they there were all of these things that they did together with him. And during that time, they learned from him about his perfection and about the way that the, he wanted them to live their lives. That's right. And I one of the things I love about Jesus is he he always takes into account as visual learners i'm one of those right and so he always gives us images in our mind to help solidify and to to connect and to remember in our brains what he's teaching and i love how he uses the net here right the net is he's not fishing with a pole and a hook right he's using a fishing with nets that scatters across the water and that net is if you think about it it's symbolically that net is the gospel. We're spreading it out into the deep waters, and then that net is lifting up people, lifting up fish, and bringing it into their into that net. And we're and those and those those people are being transformed. And so he's using that net as a visual interpretation. That what I'm what I am giving you is a net. That's the gospel, and it's going deep into those waters and lifting people up out of the depths of wherever they are. And then over time, their lives are going to be transformed. And I just love every story Jesus gives or teaches. He gives us that visual representation. So think of that net. The gospel is that net. And that's, that's why in a couple of places in Scripture, it talks about how the gospel saves. It's not us. We, we don't save anyone. 
It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves. The next step is then Jesus spends years with them, spends time with them, does all of these things with them. And eventually they head out to the furthest away that Jesus gets from Jerusalem in a town called Caesarea Philippi. And it was a place where there was a lot of idolatry. The Romans had different pagan shrines set up and everything. And he'd gone out that far and he's getting ready to come back. But he is wanting to make sure that his guys are getting it. And so in Mark chapter 8. We're going to turn to Mark 8 verses 27. We're going to 31, yes? Uh, yes. Okay. You guys ready? Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And they were walking along and he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? And Peter replied, Good old Peter, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. And we stop there because what that does is that this passage fills out, now that he knows that they understand that he's the Messiah, they need to understand that the Messiah is not who they thought that he was. He's not a conquering king right now. He's a suffering servant right now. Conquering king's going to come later. We'll get there later. But right now, he needs to suffer first. And so he lets them know what's going to happen. It's the first time he really unveils the plan. And if you read further in this passage, Peter's like, what are you doing? This is no way to run a railroad. You don't tell everybody you're the Messiah and then tell everybody you're going to get mocked and beaten and die. Uh, but Jesus knew that this is what had to happen in order for him to pay the penalty. He had to live a perfect life so that he owed no penalty for his own sin so that he could die for the sake of the rest of us who did owe that penalty. And so what he did was he paid that penalty for us so that we would have the opportunity to have new life. Mm -hmm. That's what he meant when he told Nicodemus back in John 3, that, that passage that everybody has memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him and would have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. So, How many prophets knew about this Well, the prophets, the prophets gave us hints. And Hebrews 11 says that all of these prophets were looking toward the day of the Messiah. So we don't know how many of them actually understood what they were writing. But, but we get the sense that whatever was going on, that they were looking forward to that day, that they wanted to see that happen. And it was taught. And it was taught. Jewish, As a matter of fact, yeah. when, when Jesus was born and he's taken to the temple, Culture. there's a prophetess and a prophet who see them and they're like, oh my goodness, Simeon and Anna are both like, this is the Messiah, this is the one, we've been waiting for him. So it, it's something that everyone was, was waiting for. They taught it in their Jewish studies. Did I skip something if the, the devil tried to, tried to provoke him? Yes, we, we, didn't, we didn't share that part, but there was a point where the devil, uh, Jesus was taken out by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, and the devil tried to tempt him to become a king 
in the way that they expected the Messiah to become. What, 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 so what he was doing was he was trying to get Jesus to use an earthly perspective on what the Messiah is. That was prior to him beginning. And so he, he, was try, he was saying, hey, show them that you can make your own bread. They'll follow you. Hey, throw yourself off this temple because if, if you, the angels will save you and everybody will know and they will follow you. Hey, I tell you what, you worship me and look at all of this. I, you can have all of it. I'll let you have all of it if yeah, you would just worship me. Okay? Right. But uh-huh. each one of those things, provision, power, and authority, were things the, that the enemy was trying to give Jesus from an earthly <coughs> perspective, but Jesus knew his father had already given it to him in a heavenly perspective. So when he died on the cross... All of these guys who are just now saying they're the Messiah, they scattered, they didn't know what to do, and they, 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 they huddled up in a room and tried to figure out what are we going to do now because even though he said he was going to die and rise again, they had no idea what that really looked like until it happened. And then they couldn't believe it when he died. And then they did everything they could to keep him in that tomb. The Romans set a guard around it, and that's not, a, that's not an unimportant thing. Because if a Roman guard failed in his duty to guard something he was told to guard, he was killed. They set a stone in front of the, the tomb. They sealed the stone so that it couldn't be unbroken. And yet, somehow. Well, and I want to add to that, you know, that's our next point, which is understanding what Jesus did for us is the heart of the gospel. And... In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul stresses the importance of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. The resurrection really is the foundation of our faith, okay? Because without the resurrection is what proves that Jesus was more than a prophet. Right. It proves that he was more than a teacher, which is, and he proves that he was more than an earthly king, which is what the Jewish people were trying to make him. It proved that he was divine. That's right. Because only a divinity could come back to life from the dead. Right, And so Paul really stresses that without the resurrection, our faith is misrepresented. We can't, we can't say that we believe what we believe in without the resurrection. And it proves his teachings over and over again. And it proves that he's not only God's son, but he's divine. It's that divinity of Jesus, not just the humanity of Jesus. That is the foundation of why we believe what we believe. And also sets us apart from all the other worldly religions is that the other worldly religions look at Jesus and say, oh, he was a great prophet or he was a great, you know. A great teacher. A great teacher and all of these things. But we believe because of the resurrection, that's what makes him, he's divine. And that's what sets him apart. And that's really important to understand that. The other thing that I wanted to bring out in this particular passage, because we've got one, a couple more coming up, but... Um, I know we've talked about this before, but why in verse 30 do you guys think that Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him in that moment? Because Peter's basically said, you're the Messiah, right? And Jesus asked him, who, who do you think I am? Who do you, who do you say, uh, who do other people say I am is how he starts. Then he says, who do you think I am? Then when they say it, he tells them, don't tell anybody. Why do you, I know we've talked about this before, but why do you think that is? He just wanted people to see it for themselves. And that's what they've been told okay. that person. Okay. Yeah, it's good. It's good. good. What else? 
What else do you think? <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's right. So there were pieces of the puzzle. That's what I always like to say when God's moving in our lives, right? There were pieces of the puzzle that weren't quite in place yet. Right. And and he knew what that timing needed to be, right? I think one is like you said, he wanted more people to recognize that he was the Messiah and that he didn't just come out and say. He wanted them to learn on their own. But also, too, I think the big thing here is that we can learn that maybe the disciples weren't ready yet. <laughs> they weren't ready to cast their net yet. Because when we share the gospel, when we share the good news, we, have to, we need to have a foundation. We need to know why we believe what we believe. So that when we tell others, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect or that you have to get it all right or that you have to have all the answers when somebody asks you a really hard question, why Why does good, bad things happen to good people? <laughs> right? Maybe you're not ready to answer that question yet, and that's okay. But you do need to have that, that the, the foundational base of the difference, which is the difference between Jesus being a good teacher and being divine is the resurrection, right? That's a key point in understanding the foundation. So when you're sharing and casting your net and your gospel, you you know where you're what you believe and why you believe it as you're sharing with other people the gospel was not complete then no right it had not right. been completed that's right if they went out and started saying look mm -hmm. here's the messiah the people would do what they wanted to do after he made he right. made bread for 5000 they would try to make him king and that wasn't the kind of king that he came to be um, and so yeah, yeah. so yeah. yes we we celebrate Jesus's life and death and burial but it's his resurrection that, that separates him. That's right. And I'm going to show you guys a book here. For those of you who've been in the faith a little longer, I'm going to share a book with you that's just phenomenal, and we're going to be using it throughout this sharing, these three, these three sermons on sharing. But one of the, one of the quotes that um, the author of this book says is, having good faith conversations is like sleep is to driving. If you don't get enough good sleep, it can cause you to wreck. So if, you're, if you don't have a strong foundation in why you believe what you believe and who you believe in and the character of who God is and who Jesus is, then when you go to share your faith with somebody else, it could actually turn into a wreck. You're, you start having the conversation and it becomes spiral and now all of a sudden you can't, you're like, whoa, that's not what I meant. So I'm not saying that to scare you and I'm not saying you shouldn't share your faith. But what I'm saying is that's why we need to continue to study that's why we need to continue to learn about who he is so that when questions are, are, are brought to us, we can stand firm in that foundation of who God's character is and why we believe what we believe. And the other thing that she says, too, that I thought was really good is we tend to focus on the methods of evangelism. That's for our already believers. We spend so much time focusing on how to evangelize to others that we forget that what we really need to do is continue to be focusing on the foundation. Why we believe what we believe and who we believe in. Those are the two, thing, two things. And if we keep that in our fo focus, then when we go to share with other people, we are, it, it's, it, it's gonna hopefully go a lot more smoother. You're not gonna have to pull over and take a nap because you're falling asleep at the wheel. We're not asking you to share everything we're sharing with you today whenever we get to sharing the gospel. What we're helping you to do is see the foundation 
and why we need to study the Bible. So you study the Old Testament to find God's character and to find out why we need Jesus. You start studying the New Testament because the first thing that Jesus does is say, the kingdom of heaven is here, follow me. But then as we're following him, he starts unveiling who he really is through his life and through the, the, his teaching and the things that we learn from him. But he really shows who he is when he says yes to being sacrificed for us and he dies on the cross and he rises again. When he rises again, imagine being that. Imagine being the disciple who's been following him for three <laughs> years. You just went through the worst three days of your life because the guy you thought was the Messiah has died and now he just appears in the middle of all of you and says, be at peace. It's me. And you now know that you know that he really is risen from the dead. And now you all of a sudden have a different perspective on what it means for him to be the Messiah. It doesn't mean that he's going to be king of this world. It means he's going to be king of the kingdom of God. And what does the kingdom of God look like? And how can I be a part of that? Right. And so they get together. He, te he teaches them for 40 days. It says in, the, in Acts chapter 1 that he teaches them for 40 days. What does he teach them about? He's already taught them a bunch of stuff, right? Sermon on the Mount and all the prophecies and all of the different parables. What's he teaching them for 40 days? He teaches them about the kingdom of God. That's what it says. It's no commandments. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's not at all about the law. It's about following the spirit and following the kingdom of God and what it means to spread the kingdom of God, and to cast your nets wide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then he tells them, I'm going away. And, I'm, and you wait until you get power from on high. And so they go and they meet in an upper room. There's only about 120 of them. Imagine that. That's In all the world, there's maybe 120 people that think Jesus really is the Messiah and that he really did rise again. But the Holy Spirit comes down upon them in tongues as a fire. After a big wind blows, they come out, they stumble out. They're, they're so overwhelmed by it, people think they're drunk. But then they start speaking, and somehow it's in the middle of a festival, and there's a feast, and there, there's people everywhere from all different tribes and nations, and somehow they are all hearing them in their own language. So imagine you're, you're in Jerusalem and you're French, <laughs> like just, just to give you a sense of it. And all of a sudden, this person who's Jewish is speaking and you hear perfect French and he's telling you exactly who Jesus is. And they're all looking around like, what's going on? And they're, they're completely enraptured. Peter gives the very first sermon and at the end of it is our next thing, is Acts 2 verses 36 to 38. Goes through the whole thing about what's just happened and how things are going. You want me to, you want to do that? Sure. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what we learn from this is responding to Jesus is the key to the gospel. The gospel becomes available to us. The net is cast. But to some extent, we almost, he gives us the right to decide to swim into the net. He gives us the opportunity to say yes to him. 
So when, whenever they hear this, oh my goodness, you mean the guy we just put to death is the Messiah? And you mean now he's proved it by rising again? He's actually fully God and fully man? What do we do now? This is not anything like we thought it was going to be. Paul, Peter says, you're going to have to rethink it. You're going to have to turn back to God and rethink what you thought the Messiah was going to be. It's all new now. And you're going to have to believe on him. Believe on him. There are some people that I believe. I believe in my wife. I believe that she tells me the truth. And I believe that I can trust her word. And I want to be able to, to uh, be a partner with her. You know, But to believe on her is to say, I'm going to base my life on everything she says. And I love her very much, but she's not always right. Mm-mm. I have to know that the person I'm believing on, if I'm going to base my whole life on who that is, I need to know that they're right. You take a look at Jesus' teaching, and there's a reason that all of the religions value what Jesus taught. Because he taught in a way that was better than anything anyone's ever seen. And we look at that and we say, I'm ready to believe on that. But not only that, not only do I have all of his teachings that seem to be right, he lived a perfect life. And the way he lived, I can look at how he lived and how he responded to situations, and I can say, yes, I can respond in situations like that and know I'm going to be right. On top of that, he died and rose again. So now I know he's divine. So now I know he has the power and the presence of God. He is God. And so I can follow him for that. I believe on him for that. And responding to him in that way is the key to having that gospel become the cornerstone of your life. And all of a sudden, everything changes. When Peter really grasps this, everything changes. And the next time we see him, he's at the beautiful gate. And this beggar looks up at him and it's like, you got any money? And he looks at him and he says, gold and silver I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Imagine the courage and the confidence it took to say that. God better show up right now or Peter's going to look really foolish. And he reaches out and the, the man, listen, this is a big part of the response. He reaches out with his hand to the man, but the man has to not only reach out his hand to meet Peter there, but to start to stand. Peter doesn't pull him up. He stands. And so his response, in his response is also the healing that comes. And the same is true for us in the gospel. When he says repent and believe, if we believe on Jesus Christ, what we're doing is we're, we're taking that hand and we're, we're starting to stand with him and say, yes, I believe on this man. He really is who he says he is. And so I'm going to live my life for him. And because of that, I can now be assured of two things. My sins are forgiven and I have eternal life. Mm-hmm. Everything is wiped away. And I now can look at eternity for me starts right now. And if you're that fish that just keeps swimming in this life. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, that's keep right. Swimming. That's right. If you're just keep swimming in this life, because we all do that. We just keep swimming. What Jesus is saying here is I'm giving you a chance. I've thrown my net out. I've thrown out my good news. Swim towards the net. Swim towards the kingdom. Don't swim out in the middle of the deep blue where you're all by yourself one lonely fish. <laughs> Turn around. That's right. Get lost. Turn around and come to me. And that's what he's saying there. Yeah. So when we repent of our sins and we accept Jesus as our Savior, then we get the good stuff. Yes. 
Then now, we get the good stuff. Now, he also says, be baptized. And so what we do is we, we recognize that once we believe that he really is who he says he is, and once we rethink things and start looking at it from a heavenly perspective, this is our opportunity to show to the world what we have decided in our hearts so that people can say, I, I remember that day and I will help you stay committed to that. And we can look back to that day. It's kind of like, think of it like the wedding. You're out. So when two people love each other, they don't start loving each other at the wedding, do they? They start loving each other, but eventually they say, I love you so much, I want to commit myself to you. I'm going to do everything <laughs> I can to be yours from now on. And that baptism gives us an opportunity to have a ceremony where we say, I'm committing to him, and everyone sees it and knows it. So just like in a wedding, we tell all the people who come to the wedding, hey, not only are you here to witness it, you're also here to help them. You're their family and friends. You've got to help them stay together. And in the same way, we as the church, when we witness a baptism, what we're saying is, you know what? We're now going to help you keep this commitment. And that's the beauty of staying in church and being a part of a church is that you have people around you who help you keep the commitment you made to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's cool. All right. But listen, that's not the end of the gospel. Right. So often we stop here and we think this is the finish line, but this is not the finish line. So we're going to do one more passage. We're going to go to Revelation. I set you up to get there. <laughs> yeah. Now we get to the good stuff. Revelation. Chapter 19. Now listen, this part is more important than any of the end times prophecies in Revelation, it doesn't matter whether there's really a horse or a scorpion with a hair that's weird and all the different <laughs> things that are in there and how many earthquakes there are and how many trumpets and bowls and all of that. All of that pales in comparison to this passage right here. Okay. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod and he will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of all Lords. This is victory, y'all. This is King Jesus. This is victory. Finally claiming the kingdom that he always had a right to. But he has given mankind, the reason Revelation was given to us was to show us over and over and over again, God is going to do everything he can to get our attention. Yeah. And for a long time, he's been trying to get our attention through love. But there's going to come a point where he tries to get our attention through his anger. And we need to recognize that that doesn't mean that God is an evil or mean or wicked God. He is the God of a million chances. But his patience will eventually run out. So we need to recognize that and come to him as quickly as we can so that we don't have to worry about this part where it talks about Jesus as a warrior, as a king who's coming, as a king who's coming to claim his territory no matter who's in his way. 
And instead of looking at that and saying, I can't believe Jesus would be that mean, what we need to do is say, we see the winning side. Mm -hmm. We recognize who's victorious. And King Jesus is going to be kicking butt from there. I want to be on his side when that happens. And the reason I can decide to do that is because his name is faithful and true. And if his name is faithful and true, that means I can trust him and that he's good. And if he's faithful and he's true and he's good and I'm on his side, then I shouldn't be upset about anything that he does from there. And it says right there in verse 11, for he judges what? Fairly. Fairly. He judges fairly. Right? So if we're judged in a negative way, that's not his fault. That's our fault. Right? It's like having an amazing, the best parent in the world. And if you get in trouble because you didn't do what you were supposed to. (laughs) That doesn't mean you have a bad parent. That doesn't mean you have a bad parent. That means you didn't do what you were, your part, what you were supposed to do. And, And I love how it says he judges fairly. He doesn't. He doesn't, God doesn't send people to hell. We do that ourselves. But he, he will okay. permit them. Yeah. Okay. He created, listen, God created hell for the enemy. He created hell for, for Satan and for the fallen angels. But if we don't choose him, we get to join them. And because of that, we can, we can see this good, gracious, loving God reaching out for us, just as Peter did that, that beggar at the beautiful gate, asking to heal us in our lameness, asking to heal us in our brokenness, and saying, you don't need gold, you don't need silver. You don't need anything physical. What you need is something heavenly. You need the kingdom of God, and I'm going to reach out my hand and give it to you if you would be willing to accept it. It's just that easy. And it's that easy. Right. And we try to convolute it, and we ask all kinds of questions, and we fight about different pieces of it, and we, we want to be right. We don't want anybody else to be as right as we are. And we tell people they are, maybe they aren't Christians because they don't think the same way we do. And Jesus says, look, it's this simple. Follow me. Believe on me. Respond to me. Be ready for me. And I will be faithful and true and fair. Amen. Salvation, forgiveness of sins is only the beginning. Yes. yes. Because the, the blessing comes after that. Yeah, all the kingdom of God is so fast. Yes. I just finished a seven Sunday series mm-hmm. on the kingdom of God. <clears throat> on how salvation it's beautiful. is the beginning. Yes. There's so many blessings and advantages that we have in the kingdom. Yes. And here's the thing is we can't forget when he called us to follow him in the very beginning, he called us to be fishers of people. So the fact that the king is coming back, it's not just that we're going to have eternal life. It's that the mission is restoring the kingdom. And the way we restore the kingdom is that we set as many captives free as we can. We cast that net of the gospel wide to everyone that we know so that more can be saved, so that more can be part of the kingdom, so that more can get excited, so that more can follow him and respond to him and recognize him and and be ready for him so they can go out and find more. 
This is Pastor Michael from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore. If you are interested in Shield Groups and want to know more, please send us a message to info at thejarministries.net or on our Facebook page. We will give you an outline to follow if you want to start your own group or connect you to others who are interested. May God bless you. I am filled to be empty.